Welcome to the Semper Reformato podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. We've been looking at the book of Acts, and in particular Acts chapter 15. This is our last look. Next time we look at Acts, it will be in chapter 16. But I didn't want to leave this little section out from uh, verse 36 down to the end of the chapter, because I think it's important, and I think there are important lessons for us to be learned here. It's about personalities and personalities that differ, and personalities and personality clashes in churches is nothing new, goes right back to the book of Acts. I'm told that Oliver Cromwell, a particular favourite of mine, a congregationalist, um, had a professional portrait sitting. And um, when the artist was finished, Cromwell wasn't terribly happy with the results. Now, I know what that's like. Because when I had, when I was, before I retired last year, and I had the photography studio in Dundonald, I don't know how many women would have come in to me and said, whenever you take my photograph, can you make me look younger? When you take my photograph, can you airbrush me? Can you make me look thinner? And there even was an occasion when a lady said to me, is there anything that you can do to make me look 25? I have no idea what age she was. But my reply was, I'm a photographer. I'm not a plastic surgeon. I don't know how the session went after that. Cromwell didn't like his portrait. The face on the canvas was perfect. It was just too perfect. Cromwell, you see, had warts on his face. And just as a modern photographer could do with Photoshop, the artist of those days could paint out the warts. And the artist had airbrushed all the blemishes out of Oliver Cromwell's face. And Cromwell ordered the painter to start again. And the famous words that he used, of course, have been written in history. When you paint me, paint me warts and all. Back in Acts, Luke records the history of the early church. And he does it warts and all. He paints the imperfections as much as he paints the perfections. There was a huge personality clash splitting the very first missionary team up and Luke faithfully records it. He makes no attempt whatsoever to disguise it or to cover it up or to airbrush it out of history. He records it for us. And he records it in God's word under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for our benefit and for our learning. And that's why I'm so determined that I won't leave it out, even though it might be more convenient to do so and to move on to the exciting events of Acts chapter 16. 
So for a few minutes this evening, I want to say three simple things about this passage. I want you to notice a good intention and a grievous contention and a godly commendation. A good intention and a grievous contention and a godly commendation. Good intention. Verse 36. After some days, some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. Let's do a recap. That's what Paul wants to do. He wants to go around and do a recap to see how the churches were doing. So let's remember what has transpired so far. Paul and Barnabas have been commissioned by the church at Antioch in Syria to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. They have travelled overseas, they've gone to Cyprus. While they were there, there's no great move of God on the island of Cyprus, but the local vice council, the Roman governor of the province of um, Cyprus has become a Christian. He's come to faith in Christ and he's been saved. And the missions team then left Cyprus and travelled over into Asia Minor, the Roman province of Asia, what we nowadays call Turkey. And they began to preach in a big circuit, moving around the provinces of Asia. Now there were a number of consequences to this. People were saved. New churches were established. Jews and Gentiles were brought into the kingdom of God, all as one, all saved by grace through Christ alone, not by their works. But there was a cost to that mission. Because as we've noticed over the past few studies, um, the gospel was opposed, mostly by the Jews, the Jews who rejected the gospel. And there was violence too, directed at the believers, directed in particular at Paul. At one point, as we know, he was beaten and actually left for dead. Now, when that first mission trip finished, they returned to Antioch in Syria. And there they were confronted, as we saw, by a controversy. Some men from Jerusalem seemingly or giving the impression that they had some form of official sanction, began to warn them that it was an impossibility to be a Christian without first becoming a Jew, with all that that entails. Circumcision, ritual washings, rigid legal obedience. Paul and Barnabas were sent to Jerusalem to find out what authority these men really had and to defend the case for salvation by grace alone. So, when they arrived in Jerusalem, a great council was held. It was the very first general assembly of the church. After arguments from each side, it was decided that Paul was correct, that the scriptures taught that the Gentiles were part of God's eternal plan of salvation for all nations, 
that no further burden should be laid upon them except that they should exercise some basic courtesy and discernment when they were with their Jewish brethren. That decree, and this is where we finished last week, that decree was carried personally from Jerusalem to Antioch by representatives of the Jerusalem elders, by Judas, by Silas, and the result was rejoicing among the brethren. But Paul wasn't one for sitting at home or resting on his laurels. Sure he wasn't. Paul has an adventurous spirit. His second missionary journey is about to begin. He's restless. He proposes that he and Barnabas should return to Asia Minor and visit all the churches where they had preached. See how they are getting on. Not to seek reward, not to seek thanks from the Christians, but to build them up and to encourage them in the faith. It seemed like a really good idea at the time. It's a good intention. That's when the problems start. That's when we have a grievous contention. Verse 37. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought it not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. There's a problem. There's a huge clash over personalities. In fact, when we examine it, it's a problem that very frequently gets repeated in modern church assemblies. And I'll tell you what it is. It's people disagreeing about families in churches. It's a diplomatic minefield. Family loyalty in the Lord's work. Sometimes we have to ask ourselves, what comes first? The good of the Lord's work or my family connections? Remember that John Mark first appeared at the church, on the church scene in Acts chapter 12 and verse 12. He was a boy in the home of his mother, who owned the house where the church was meeting for prayer. Just turn back in your Bible a couple of pages. Acts chapter 12 and verse 12. And you'll see there, Peter here, when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. So we meet Mark for the first time. And now we find that Mark and Barnabas are related. If you turn over in your Bible again to Colossians chapter 4 and verse 10, you'll see there that there's another mention of Mark. Here he's called Marcus. But that's the same person. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 10 says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you. And Marcus, 
sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom ye receive commandments. If he come unto you, receive him. So Barnabas and Mark are related somehow. It's a vague relationship. Um, In the AV here, we're told that Barnabas was the uncle of Mark. Mark was his nephew. Um, Some other people, the the, the Greek's a bit vague. Some other versions uh, say that they were cousins. Doesn't matter. What we're dealing with here is family relationships in a church causing diplomatic issues. Now, let me try and illustrate this for you. Some years ago, more years now than I'd care to remember, probably, a man fell from grace in a church where I was the pastor. And that fall was a truly spectacular fall. It was a fall from grace that brought great shame on his own family. It was a fall from grace that brought great shame on the local church. For this was a man who had been out in the streets. He'd been visible as part of the church outreach team. He'd been preaching in the open-air meetings. He'd been in the town centre on a Saturday afternoon handing out tracts. He'd been participating in the meetings in the church And when he walked the streets, he carried a large Bible, and everyone in the town knew that this man was a godly Christian man, until we all discovered that his life was a complete fraud, at least his Christian life. So he left the church very rapidly. He didn't have to be disciplined to be put out, he just left under a cloud in shame. But what also happened at the same time was that when he left, all his relatives left too. Maybe six or eight adults and their children. I couldn't understand it, unless it was shame. But they all left and went to different churches. One of them was his cousin. And I went round to the cousin's house and I said to him, why have you left the church? Why are you not coming to church? And he told me it was because of this relative of his, this cousin of his. And I said to him, but you haven't sinned in that sense. You haven't done anything in relation to what this other man has done. Why have you left? Now his answer to me was as simple as it was unbiblical. His answer was, quite blatantly, because blood is thicker than water. Because blood is thicker than water. It doesn't matter what my family do. I'll back them rather than back you. It doesn't matter that he has revealed himself to be a great uh, fraud and hypocrite. I'm standing with him because he's part of my family. Now, I'm wondering how many people have fallen out with other Christians or how many people have left a church because a family member has strayed and they have taken the side of that family member even though that family member is clearly in the wrong. Navigating your way through families in Christian assemblies has very frequently been a complete nightmare. It's a minefield. 
And that's what's happening right here in Acts chapter 15. Barnabas wants to take his nephew with them on the journey. And Paul says no. And he's a very good reason for saying no, because he says here in verse 38, he was the man who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. If you cast your mind back to when the disciples began, when the apostles began their first missionary journey and they were in Cyprus, they left Cyprus and they went to Pamphylia in Asia Minor. And there it tells us that Mark returned back to Jerusalem. My old boss, years ago when I worked for Kraft Cheese in the 70s, my boss in Kraft Cheese had a, a plaque on his wall in the office. It wasn't a biblical plaque, sadly. It was a plaque that said, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Well, when the going got tough for Mark, he went back to his mummy, back in Jerusalem. Mark gave up and went home. Acts chapter 13 and verse 3, Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, and came from to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. And Paul doesn't want to take him a second time. He had not gone to the work. Maybe Paul is simply remembering the words of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus, who said in Luke chapter 9 and verse 62, No one, having put his hand to the plough and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. So it's a diplomatic minefield and we're reaping the reward of unreliability and service and look at the depth of the disagreement that happens here. This family feud, this taking sides with my nephew, even though we know he's in the wrong, this is going to cause great depths of hurt in verse 39. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. That's the damage that done. That's why I'm saying to you that when Luke is writing this account, he is being strictly honest with us. He's telling it as it is, warts and all. The contention became so sharp that they basically fell out with one another. They parted from one another. They wouldn't back down. Neither man would step back. And the result was a serious breach among servants of God. Matthew Henry, writing on this, said Barnabas was preemptory in that he would not go with Paul unless they took Mark with them. Paul was just as preemptory that he would not go if John did go with them. Neither would yield, and therefore there is no remedy. They must part. Huge row. And yet in some sense this gives us hope. You know, I used to be told I've heard many sermons over the years particularly in my early ministry of the idealistic nature 
of the early church. Oh, that we could be like those great men and people would have used sermons from the book of Acts to inspire you to do great things for God and to to go out and conquer lands and heal the sick and raise the dead and all sorts of things. But in some sense this gives us hope for while we look on the men of the book of Acts as the early fathers of the church and while some will designate these men as St. Barnabas and St. Paul I think when we read this passage warts and all we're taught that they were sinners just like us Paul and Barnabas fell out they're just like you and me they have faults just like we do they're imperfect just as we are they're not heroes they're just men Men whom God has used to further his kingdom, just as he uses us sinners today. It reminds us that it is God who saves souls and builds his church, despite our flaws and our weaknesses. We are human instruments that he uses in that task. But it is God who does the work. And we with all our imperfections, take heart that even Paul and Barnabas had their imperfections too. Again, Matthew Henry. We are not to think it strange if there are differences among wise and good men. Even those that are united in one And the same Jesus, and sanctified by the one and the same Spirit, have different apprehensions, different opinions, different views, different sentiments and points of prudence. It will be so. While we are in this state of darkness and imperfection, we shall never be all of a mind till we come to heaven, where light and love are perfect. So they part company. And lastly then we see a godly commendation. Let's compare the departures. Verse 39. The contention was so sharp between them that they parted asunder one from the other and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. I can't help thinking, how would this row between Paul and Barnabas have affected the local church? It must have been very discouraging for them. Contention among leading brethren within the church always spreads and always affects the local assembly and the overall witness of the church. There's so many cases of this. Some years ago there was a huge rift in the Free Church of Scotland. Am I allowed to talk about that? And um, that rift caused 
a, a great division. There were two separate denominations came out of it. Now, I remember reading all about it at the time and trying to get my head around it. Right now, if you were to ask me about the about the, the causes of that rift, I wouldn't have a clue anymore what it was about. But I know that over here in Northern Ireland, there were churches that were affected by that rift in another nation of the, of the United Kingdom, in another denomination. Over here, people divided over it. Elders and ministers took sides on the issues even though it didn't affect us, people were taking sides on it. People were in contention over it. Splits and schisms like that are dangerous and serious. And I think individuals at the church in Antioch would, may have just started to take sides. And I wonder would it have become so much of a problem that a church meeting would need to be held about it. I'm sure it would see the subtle differences in the way the departures are recorded here. Barnabas and Mark, for a start, their departure seems to go almost unnoticed by the church. There's no record of a commissioning service. There's no record of an endorsement. The Bible simply says that they sailed to Cyprus. And there, in Cyprus, very little was accomplished in that first journey, Nothing seems to have been achieved in this trip either. There's no record of a thriving witness on the island before about 320 AD. But Barnabas was from Cyprus. So it seems like a natural place to go. If you look at Acts chapter 4 and verse 36, you'll see there that his name was Joseph, who was also named Barnabas, the son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus. Maybe Barnabas feels more comfortable confining his work to the synagogues, going among the Jews and the proselytes, which will be good in itself. Paul and Silas have a different departure. Look at the contrast. Paul chose Silas in verse 40 and departed being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. There's no, there's no mention of Barnabas being recommended by the brethren. But Paul departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. Paul, or Luke here rather, records that Paul and Silas left on their mission with the approval and the blessing of the local church. They were commended by the brethren to the grace of God. They were leaving Antioch. They were going off to foreign lands. There would be more challenges and more difficulties along the way, as we shall very shortly see. Communications were not what they are like today. The missions agency could do little to help once the missionaries left home, left their home shores. They couldn't be supported. There was no PayPal. There was no backs, there was no emails and no money transfers. Once they left, they're going to be on their own. No, they're not. For the church at Antioch took the most important step to protect them and reassure them. They commended them into the hands 
of God. The Lord would go with them. I commended them to God's grace. God who in his grace would care for them and look after them. Do you know, we have situations today that may be outside of our powers of intervention and control. Look at the situation we're facing at the minute. Um, you know, we, we are in the midst of what has been described as the worst national health crisis for how many years? I don't know. Depends who you're listening to. What channel on the television news you're taking your information from. People are saying, what's the answer to protecting our loved ones? Going out into the world, what's the answer? Well, the answer in the situation is not obviously similar in the sense that they're not being commended. Our loved ones are not being commended as missionaries. But we do want to commend all those that we love and care for into the grace of God to care for them. Do you know, I think today, if Christians had more concern about... If Christians had more concern for to commend their people to the grace of God instead of to the national lockdown or the self-isolation or the mask mandate, if we would commit people to God's grace, it would be better. And maybe our churches wouldn't be closed. So whenever there was danger ahead, the missionaries were leaving their home church and they were going out to preach the gospel in far-off lands. And they would be on the powers of the local church to help them when they get there. The best thing that they can do to keep those missionaries safe is to commit them to the Lord, who in his grace will provide for them. And even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, should that be what befalls us in the days that lie ahead? We will fear no evil, for thou art with me. The grace of God. Well, the rift between Paul and Mark wasn't permanent. Sure, it wasn't. I think we always need to be careful when we're criticizing or critiquing, let me say, a brother of, in Christ. Um, for who knows that in later days we may have to revise our opinion of them. Mark must have worked really hard to be Barnabas's helper and his fellow worker. He must have repented of his earlier decision to leave the work and go home. For later, when Paul writes to Timothy, he instructs, take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Whatever happened in the intervening years, Mark had proved his worth. Mark had changed his attitude. Mark had been sanctified by the work of the Holy Spirit. And the one who was unprofitable in the book of Acts is later profitable for the ministry. And in that verse in Colossians 10, Colossians 4 and 10, we're told that Mark 
is the cousin of Barnabas or the, the nephew of Barnabas uh, is to be welcomed by the church. Mark was restored and of course later on used of God to write the events of the life of the Lord Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. Just because someone has let you down, don't write them off. And the Gospel spreads further. And one mission team becomes two mission teams. And the Lord uses that situation to bring Paul and Silas back into Asia Minor and eventually into Europe where the gospel is preached and we owe much we owe everything in the way of our churches to those early gospel efforts 